Welcome, everyone, to League One Fun, brought to you by Roughneck, Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. We are here to talk about the week that was in USL League One and look ahead to the week that is forthcoming. We are joined today uh, by our regular cast of characters. Uh, first up, we got Ira. Ira? Hey, so I was actually on TV today talking about the Federal Reserve announcement, and they spoiled the Barcelona-Liverpool match for me oh. while I was on air. I was I was like, what are you doing? I'm going to go home and watch this thing before I you know, podcast tonight. And you know, they, they completely ruined it for me. It was terrible. Before we move on from Ira, can we just talk about these suspenders? Oh, you, you, you <laughs> like them? They're pretty good, right? I'll send you my office address. I want a pair of those. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can send you my tailor. For, okay. those, for those listening to the podcast, Later, Ira has on suspenders with soccer balls up and down them, just like the dad that he is. Uh, <laughs> next up on the show today, Jason is with us once again. Jason, what's up? What's going on? I was not on TV today. Uh, I'm not as important as Ira, but uh, you know, since the union are down to a third keeper, uh, as of a couple minutes ago, I figured I throw the bad boy on and you know give Curtin a chance to call me up. I think I still got a game or two left in the tank, just in case. And then I am Chris here with you again from Greenville, but we are joined by a fourth member of the panel today, a special guest jumping on with us here at the front end, Stephen Short, the senior vice president for USL League One. Stephen, thanks for jumping on with us. Great to be back. I need to be a regular member of this uh, this team. Let's make that happen. Yeah, let's do it. Avengers wow. Unite. Let's we'll go. We'll, we'll, all, we'll all wear matching suspenders. <laughs> that sounds dangerous. <laughs> Before we jump into looking back at the week and looking ahead, while we've got Steven on the line, we're just going to jump in and have a little conversation with you because today was a big day for the league. USL League One announcing a new team in Omaha. Uh, as I like to call it, Omaha Hallelujah. Uh, it was a big day uh, for Nebraska. And if you were listening last week to USL League One Fun podcast, we talked to Peter Wilt, and he said, hey, I think Omaha might be a great place for a team to drop in and maybe a little foreshadowing, maybe just a little <laughs> foresight, who knows. Uh, so we're going to just kind of, go around the horn and, and maybe just jump in and ask you some questions, Stephen, and let you kind of uh, elaborate a little bit. When did this process uh, start in terms of Omaha in particular? And how, how long did it take you from day one until the announcement today? 7,000 days. No, um, <laughs> it really started about over a little bit, a little bit over two years ago. Uh, really, you know, it's not something that's ever overnight. We spent a lot of time trying to make sure it's with the right ownership group and the right stadium and really the right market. And, we knew years ago Omaha had a tremendous upside and opportunity with its growth, um, with the corporate market and with their love of sports. And um, one day we'll make it to the College World Series. Um, maybe if anybody wants to send me tickets, let's do it. But, um, you know, we knew Omaha would be great. So when we found the right group, it was the right time. And, man, what a great day. And we're excited for it. Yeah, and this is a, this is a town that has 3,000 people come to their junior hockey nights and so obviously dying for sports was there anything in particular though about the city that drew you to it and you know how did you get with the with the group and gary and everyone that was involved how did that process work out well the city itself i think speaks for itself it is a sports destination uh, not only for ncaa and uh, minor league baseball but you can also look at the olympic trials 
that have been here and they're always pursuing new events. Uh, so we, we knew there was a massive sports culture here. The youth scene here is just booming. And so you were starting to see, you know, amateur games pop up. And so it was really bubbling to the professional ranks. Uh, you want to look at it that way. Um, with Gary, uh, Gary Green, his team, and, you know, we'd known them for several years. And I think what makes them enticing is you look at people that individually have been very successful in their own companies. So they know how to operate a business and they've been successful in also operating professional sports businesses, um, whether it's a team or an ancillary business like Baseball America. So when you look at that, there's a lot of knowledge there, um, at least in sports. And, you know, they've added some soccer specialty people to their team already. So it, it really is a, everything coming together at the perfect time. Um, I wouldn't say lightning in a bottle because it's a it's been it hasn't been overnight, but it's uh, exciting that it all came to today. So, Steve, how does that process start? Do you approach teams or potential owners, or do they contact you? I'm, I'm sure there's a mix at some level, but, yeah. but you know, in this particular case, did Gary and his team contact you and say, hey, we might be interested in this. Can we talk more about it? Or was this something that you, that the league actively was pursuing for a while? Uh, I believe it was one of the league was actively pursuing. It certainly is different in every market. Like I said earlier, we identified Omaha as a potential market early on, uh, one of interest and one of growth. Um, but like in other markets, there are times where um, we may have had contact with a certain individual that put us in touch with a different individual that continues to t- you know tie all the dots together, if you would. And so um, when we met Gary, we knew he was going to be the right guy. Um, and he wanted some local um, individuals as well um, that knew the soccer industry. Uh, that, you know, his background isn't specifically in that, but it is in sports. And he's going to change that, which is exciting for us, where um, I think he's going to be an exciting owner for the league. But as those conversations, you know, mature over several years, and sometimes it's uh, they go down different paths and they'll come back and move in a different direction. But um, no, I, I think if you look at every market, it's different. Um, but the great thing is the results the same. And so, you know, it is about the journey, but more so the destination. So we know Gary has the connection there to the baseball team. And, and as part of the announcement, the team's going to be playing there at the baseball stadium, at least for next year. Uh, is that is that a, a permanent spot or is there a conversation about potentially building kind of more of a soccer specific stadium uh, in Omaha in the future? As far as I know, it's a permanent spot. I mean, they've worked a lot to make it, um, changes to the stadium, but what it's going to take to host professional soccer um, in Omaha and specifically in Sarpy County. Uh, where the stadium's located. So when you look at it, there's some uh, things they're going to have to do, some modifications um, that allow us to get the right pitch width um, that would add potentially a new locker room and some new amenities to the stadium, some um, administrative areas as well for the front office. So uh, they're all in, and it's going to be exciting. I can't wait to come back to the home opener and see these additions. And I mean, I'll get to see pictures in the, in the meantime where they're working on it, but um, they're all in and doing it right, and they want to make sure it's done right. It's authentic. They want it to be loud. Uh, they already told us they want the smoke there, and we're already sending them, like, hey, here's the type of smoke we can use. So <laughs> for us, um, there's no doubt if you when you come to a game here, you can already visualize the drums, the smoke, the flags, the fans outside tailgating, and just really creating a place where other teams will not want to come play because this crowd was already loud, um, even in the room for the announcement today. So if the stadium's a little bit more than that, it's going to be a fun place to watch a match. And you spoke about with the – the residents there and how it is a sports town. There was amateur teams, you know, being built. Was there any conversation when you went in there to possibly collaborating with these amateur teams? Were there any initial conversations with them or was this a straight, we're going to be, you know, this Omaha USL dedicated team with no kind of affiliation in the independent team? 
You know, and I think it's a great question because I think a lot of people think when we launch an expansion team that we just come in and drop it. And it doesn't, it never works that way. Um, there's always conversations that are had at all levels of the game, whether it's collegiate, amateur, youth, to understand the landscape, understand if this could work. And, you know, we had conversations with the amateur teams here that are in town. Matter of fact, even our conversation several years back going saying that we see Omaha, Omaha, excuse me, Omaha is a pro market. And they understood that. They're on board with that. And I've actually gotten some congratulatory texts today from them. Um, they also had some representatives at the um, event. So I think what we're seeing is, yes, there's a communication that does occur. And everyone's trying to build towards a common goal. Um, you know, there are some fans that maybe have a different opinion on Twitter, but um, everyone's building towards professional soccer in Omaha. Talk to us a little bit about how how the decisions made between having a League One team or a championship team, firstly, and, and secondly, you know, maybe this hasn't been decided yet, but is there going to be any potential affiliations that Omaha might have with either an MLS or a championship side, a la Tucson? Or- sure. So a lot of the decision between the championship and the League One fall under the U.S. Soccer Pro League standards. Um, as you may or may not know, there are standards on market sizes and certain percentages at the Division Two level that um, the league has to have so many cities and so many uh, of so much population uh, to meet division two criteria and division three that doesn't exist, which is great. So when we launched USL league one, it was all about markets of a specific size, um, really having access to pro soccer for the first time. So that drove a lot of the league one decision. Um, also, I think you look at league one and uh, it's a place to grow. It's a place to create a foundation and make sure that you're building a fan, fan base from day one and then growing into something bigger if they so choose to do that. Um, repeat your second question for me again. Yeah, just if if we knew if Omaha was going to have any kind of affiliation with uh, with other clubs, you know, like maybe mm-hmm. a f- like a Forward Madison and and Minnesota, or um, I mean, obviously it's not directly owned um, like mm-hmm. a Tucson, but um, if it's a little bit different, uh, if it's going to have a relationship with with them, if they've even thought about that yet. Sure. You know, all my conversations with Coach Sims and the ownership group are about creating something that is specific and representative of Omaha. Um, and I think part of that is creating a roster and a style of play um, that is Omaha-centric. Um, so I wouldn't anticipate that, but I mean, that's their decision. Um, but it really seems that they want to make sure that this team and this club represents this region um, and this region specifically. So for those of us who don't know can you tell us a little bit about, uh, give us some background on Coach Jay Mims and why he's the man for the job there? You know, in all of our conversations, it seems like everything was pointing to Coach. And he's an Omaha product, uh, helped raise in even the national prominence, the UNO program, spent time at Creighton, has professional coaching experience with uh, Real Salt Lake. So when you look at his pedigree, you know, he's coming home. And he's coming home to have a dream job at a professional soccer team. So I think when you look and you find out who's been connected into this community, who has ties to it, who understands what it takes to develop something from the ground up, this is your guy. And the ownership is 100% behind him. And I'm excited to see what he puts on the field. In the press release, uh, probably one of my favorite parts that I was reading, you were talking about the branding and something Mm -hmm. that's made Ford and other teams in the league such a success is it's very much fan-oriented branding. It's Mm fan-driven, community-driven. And it sounds like that's something that's going to be happening in Omaha as well, right? Can you kind of talk about the importance of the fan engagement and how they're probably going to be the ones to brand and name the team? I think it really is just a process of listening for the ownership group and the, the leadership here meeting with the community. Again, like I said earlier, it's 
they wanted to represent this community of Omaha and Sarpy County and uh, the greater metro area. So they want to hear what the fans want. They just don't want to go and create something and force it on someone. It definitely isn't their approach. And like you've probably heard me talk about before, it's one of the biggest decisions a club can make early on. This is something that will impact everything you do for years to come. So they want to get it right. They want to make sure that it represents this community, those that are coming to the matches, and those that will ultimately come to the matches, and uh, the city as well. So there's going to be a lot of listening, a lot of engagement. I believe there are some, uh, as they work through this process, which they've initiated, there are going to be some focus groups with some fans to start finding out um, what they love about Omaha and the region. The fans can even go to the website, I believe, and start filling out forms or soon can um, to hear what they would like to see represent. So I think you're going to see nearly a crowdsourced branding effort, which is, I think, unbelievable. And we'll start to see more teams follow that pattern, I believe. When we talk about expansion of the league and, and additional announcements that we might get, I guess, is the league planning on announcing you know expansion teams now and then maybe any... Um, uh, any League Two teams that are moving up at, in September after their season ends, and you know, obviously, if any championship teams are moving down, those announcements would be made later. Is is that kind of the the rollout plan as we uh, as we move forward throughout the year? You know, our plan is uh, when they're ready to announce them. But I would anticipate, um, I believe, uh, what you're alluding to, um, any movement. Um, you know, we'll be announcing League One teams, um, and we're excited for when those occur. Obviously, you guys are on our list to make sure you know about it a little earlier than everybody else. Um, but for us, I mean, we're focused on League One. Um, and if someone wants to join the league at a later date, they're welcome to, as long as they meet the standards. But we don't think everything else, there's a process that everyone has to go through. And so as of right now, I'd anticipate League One expansion announcements only. So you're with the Omaha announcement, you're obviously putting a focus on the Midwest out there. Is this... I know, I know Tucson's probably begging for some teams out on the West Coast, um, but is the is the Midwest now lumped into there in terms of markets that you're looking towards? Without a doubt, and uh, Tucson should be should know we're also focusing out west. But uh, the Midwest has been a area of focus for us. And earlier in the year, I spent a week that I'm traveling from was it Rockford, Illinois, Peoria, even spent some time in Normal, Illinois, to Cedar Rapids and Davenport, Iowa. And, uh, to, as we focus on the Midwest and really you get to make some really good friends on your trips and visit these cities. And really right now, I mean, my heart goes out to the Davenport community and um, what they're dealing with this flooding. So as much as we'd like to see pro soccer there, we want to make sure people are safe and we're growing those communities and maybe soccer becomes something that helps rebuild um, if something gets there. But you know, for us, it's the Midwest. There are certain areas, gaps we need to fill. Um, and yes, it's not just Tucson. Other teams want teams closer to them as well. Um, it goes back to our rivalries. So we're focused on the entire country, but there certainly are regions that we're uh, a little more active in at this point than others. I'd put a question out on Twitter and probably the most common responses I was getting and questions I was getting was for people who want a USL League One team in their city, what's the thing that they need to do to get that consideration? So is it something like where you have teams like the Philadelphia Union who kind of started their own supporters group yeah. and showed you know, the ability to be able to have fans and find a stadium site? Uh, is there anything specifically that people can do that are begging for a pro team in their city? Other than my man in Evansville that tweets me that he wants a team in Evansville, Indiana. <laughs> um, no, that, that's exactly what we love to see. It's a desire for the pro game or a desire for that next level. And that's one thing that something that we try to analyze and experience when we're in each market. Uh, sometimes we have a better opportunity than others or we're able to connect with the right individuals. 
Um, matter of fact, I got a tweet today after the announcement of Omaha. Let's get a team in Greensboro, North Carolina. And my response was, let's do it. What do we have to do to make it happen? And so for us, it's just being open, saying we want the game here. You know, and a lot of times it could be like the Suns of Ben that drove that and drove that growth. It could be like the Coopers in Louisville that drove a lot of the Louisville growth. And so you know, we love to see that these groups are coming together and saying we want pro soccer. And the more we hear that, the easier it makes it. All right. I appreciate it, Stephen. And before I before I let you go, I'm going to uh, – I'm going to just, you know, we have we have Omaha being announced. We've got Rochester in 2020 and Penn in 2020. So that's three. But don't we kind of need to make it uh, balanced if we're going to have the schedule to avoid someone having to buy? So can we yeah, you know, I mean, buy something have, else this year? Have, uh, you know, we want to work on that, right? We want to make sure it's the right time. We have two teams that are still working on stadiums, three other teams currently in the league that are going to build. So we have a lot of off-season work to do, in-season work for that. Um, so as we work towards 2020, we're excited for that year. Uh, I think it's going to be a great year too. But, I mean, we're only five weeks in right now, so we <laughs> we have a little bit to go. The great thing is we're seeing a very competitive league on the field right now. Point totals are close, goals are close. We're seeing some amazing plays and great athletes. So I'm excited to see the rest of our stories before we completely turn our eye to 2020. <laughs> so no hints on maybe when we might hear. You know the, Zero. the next. Zero. Okay. All right. Well, I tried. You know. I'll keep That's... you. Up. I'll keep you in the loop. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, I can keep a secret, I promise. <laughs> well, yeah, that's good. So, no, it's exciting for us guys. And, uh, you know, we always appreciate the conversations. It's fun for us to talk the game. And, again, I think that gets back to what League One can be and will be is very open about our plan, um, how we will grow and really kind of help grow these communities as well. Steven, I'm rocking my there Carson, it is. Carson Newman sweatshirt for you today. Um Thanks for jumping in with us uh, on League One Fun this week. Thanks for being open and just answering all the many questions we had. I know that the fans had about uh, the Omaha expansion bid, and you're always welcome to jump on at any time with us. Well, I tell you, if you want to know more about Omaha or you can go to the League One website, you can follow it on Twitter at USL Omaha, I believe, um, unless I got the handle wrong. That's the right handle. Beating it in my head all day. Um, but it's exciting for them. And I, I think what they're looking for now is just to make sure that support's there. Come out, support them online, um, help them engage, help them understand what they, the fans want this uh, team to be. Um, and then don't forget that you can watch all League One matches on ESPN Plus or YouTube. I mean, it's just an exciting time to see the games around the league. Thanks again for jumping on with us. We're going to keep rolling here on League One Fun and get to some news and notes around the league. Guys, uh, this week, FC Tucson's Ledbetter got called up to be a part of Phoenix Rising and saw him play 24 minutes versus Sacramento. Um, I know we have talked about you know players going up to the championship level, players going up to MLS level. Uh, so as we continue to see things like this, what did what did that mean uh, for you guys? What do you think that means for the league? Well, I think it means that we're you know we're likely to see more of this, um, especially with some of the uh, teams that have the relationships like Tucson does with Phoenix or North Texas. I mean, some of their guys are going to go up, and and I also think the other way, right? So as as players come down, like um, not only with forward Madison, like we talked about with Peter Welt about that last week, but. I think it means that some of these teams are not going to be able to necessarily get the chemistry that they need um, if they have players moving up and down a lot. Um, uh, that being said, you know, you, you look at what some of the teams have done over the past weekend and, um, you know, even these two teams are, 
you know, their chemistry is good and they have really good athletes and, and guys with good soccer IQ. So, um, yeah, you know, I think it's more, uh, more that this is seen, has to be seen as part of the development framework and the pyramid of uh, U.S. soccer. Yeah, I mean, I look at it as great advertisement too, right? If we do have players that go up and they perform well, then people start saying, oh, well, maybe there's not much of a gap between USL championship and league one play and maybe other teams even get influenced, right? When they get an injury bug or when, you know, their starters aren't putting in goals or whatever they need to happen, they might go, you know what, let's give it a try. Let's see if we can call somebody up. Let's see if we can get a loan, you know, for a team that might have, you know, a big depth in one position and someone's not getting playing time. So I have no problem with it. I think though, and we, we talk about a little more is the, the other side of it to where the USL championship teams, MLS teams are sending guys down. And so Lansing Tucson game, which we'll talk about Tucson and Phoenix rising, make an announcement. I think it was hours before the game, right? Yeah. It was, it, yeah, it was literally hours before the game. And it was, oh, by the way, we're sending down a midfielder and a six foot five striker. You know, no, no, don't worry about it. It's just, you know, for, for fun. And, you know, it, I see a lot of USL championship fans. They're not a fan of MLS teams sending people down, especially last minute, right? And I think that's the thing. You, you watch tape, your coaches are trying to prepare, have tactics, and then at the last minute you have guys coming down. So how do we feel about that. I I personally think there should be some kind of a 48-hour notice or some kind of a notice to where you have to get that lineup in. It's almost like football with injuries. Like yes, it's I mean that's they're close to game time, but still there should be a cutoff for you to say, "Oh, by the way, these players are going to be joining the team." I mean, I'm just going to say if any USL or MLS teams want to throw a 6-foot-5 striker down to Greenville <laughs> a couple hours before a match like We'll take it because we need somebody that can put them in the back of the net. So oh, we'll I'm, get to I'm, that. All, I'm all here for it. No, I th- I think you're right. I mean, I think it's uh, I don't have a problem with players being loaned down because I think ultimately that's what this league uh, I think can be good for. I, I was going to make the analogy a little bit. When we're talking about players going up and down. This feels w- without the with a little more even footing and a little more sustainability than than the. Uh, Alliance of American football was this year, but you kind of saw when that league came around, a lot of guys who maybe didn't get a crack at the NFL, get a chance to play, be featured. And now you're seeing a lot of those guys who really were able to show out getting signed to NFL roster. So I think that's kind of what you, you hope league one can be that some guys that maybe have been overlooked, haven't gotten the playing time on another level or, or just coming up and haven't had a chance to crack in getting some game tape, getting some, uh, getting their game out there and potentially being able to move up. And like, honestly, that's, that's the dream. You want to be able to follow a guy that maybe played in your hometown who then goes on to the big stage and, and kind of has this Cinderella story, if you will. But I don't have a problem with, with players coming down either to get some playing time, but I do think there probably needs to be some limits. Like you say, Jason, 48 hours, something where teams, teams can prep for them at least and not just completely be th- thrown for a loop. We'll have to check. I think there actually are rules that you have to have like a 23-man roster a certain time frame before, but I don't remember if that was 48 hours or 24 hours. It's There is there is some kind of rule for that. And uh, um, since I'm well, the rules well, expert, I better us, check it. Because we heard about it you know, pretty much while teams were warming up. So, uh, well, the yeah. 18, the 18 is different. Yeah. So, so is that public and who gets it? Maybe that's right. the next question for Steve. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, uh, 
as far as the is the minor league football, let, just don't wish any kind of Christian Hackenberg on any players. Right, that guy is <laughs> trash. <laughs> Uh, well, before we go too far down that rabbit hole, um, <laughs> let's look back last week, some results from some games and maybe one of the sneakiest stories in league one right now is a team that we all pretty much dogged on preseason. And that was Toronto FC two. And now they are one of only two undefeated teams in the league. And both of the undefeated te- two, both of the undefeated teams are both two teams, surprisingly. So Toronto FC2 gets a victory versus Lansing 2-0. Uh, Ira, what did you think about this matchup? Well, so I have a, I'm going to say two things about that, and that is that both North Texas and TFC2 have played less games than every other team in the league. So this remember that, too. So they, they could lose their fourth game uh, each. It's possible. Um, so North I Texas thought, will. You just I wait. I thought, you know, <laughs> Toronto has looked good. And, and you know, I think the reason why we made fun of them was more that we didn't have a lot of information about the team mm-hmm. early on. Um, and, you know, they, they've obviously shown it on the field that they can do it. This game was a little bit closer, I think, than the score line suggests. Um, you know, you had Lansing, um, Lansing hit the crossbar late in the second half. Um, I, I do have a question for you guys. Do, do you guys think Patricio on that free kick where he scored in the 11th minute, was he shooting or was he crossing? I'm not not that it matters because it went in the net, but I'm yeah. think that it was probably supposed to be. I don't crossing. think I don't think the keeper knew because if you look at the keeper's reaction, he had a very late reaction to yeah, it, and I yeah. think he got a fingertip on it. So had he have actually moved on time, he probably would have saved it. So yeah, that's a good question. He's always going to say he he shot it right. That's right. Just, of course yeah, he has do. to, but I, I'm yeah. pretty sure he was crossing, which is why the keeper maybe was a little bit out of position when think, uh, when, when he struck the ball. I think we saw the, the crazy thing about this week is. Uh, one, no red cards in any games this week. I think this is the first week so far in the league we haven't had red cards. I think and you're number, right. Yeah. And number, number two, uh, crazy either goals from free kicks or near goals from free kicks in nearly every game this week. Uh, it seems like set pieces are becoming a thing in League One. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I, again, I don't know if he was trying to do that or not. Uh, Jason, what did you think about this match? So first and foremost, uh, you guys are using the word we a lot. Uh, Chris, I'll give you daddy uh, th- uh, duty excuses, but somebody came on this show wearing a Toronto jersey to show them love and said that the two teams are going to be better than you guys are saying. So I'm just going, I'm just, that's fine. We're just going to put that on. Not all of us have jerseys for every team that's ever existed. <laughs> but I will say this game could have been a lot different. Um, when you go back and look, Nathan Lewis, Lansing had a wide open header. Um, and if he puts that in, and I think that was in like the first 15 minutes of the game, you put that in, it's a whole different game. Um, Lansing, obviously this is their, you know, now they play Tucson, they two games without a goal, they're struggling and you know, that could have been the difference. Right. Um, I think though, that a lot of players that have impressed me for Toronto, um, one of the biggest difference makers I think was Okello. So that's somebody who I didn't get to really hear much about in preseason, but he's a huge, huge midfielder, right? He's more, I don't like comparing players, but he's like a Derek Jones to where he can be upfield or backfield stopping counterattacks or just taking the ball from you like lunch money, uh, but also assisting in passing. And I think he was a big difference because Lansing who, you know, bread and butter off a of quick passing and getting downfield he stopped a lot of that and kind of slowed down and Lansing was only finding 
um, a lot of good chances when they countered and had one-on-one on the sides when he wasn't involved. Um, but then the issue with that is while Toomey has a lot of great shots and, you know, great free kick taker, he's not putting the ball in the net. Um, and so you start questioning, is this whole going down the sides and sending in crosses um, the way to go about it, right? Because you look at Toomey playing and then, you know, Steve St. Duke not playing on uh, last night's game. They play, they have, they pretty much have identical minutes and Steve St. Duke has uh, seven successful crosses, I believe, to Toomey's two. He has more key passes. He has uh, better chances created. So I think that maybe tactically wise, Lansing needs to start kind of playing to the middle, using their strikers to have their back to goal and start giving some give and goes and allowing Toomey to make those late runs down the side because I don't see it happening with this one-on-one on the side and sending in crosses. Um, tactically, it's been two games now. They haven't scored. Uh, they're not really succeeding on those crosses, so they might need to one, of, one of the reasons why they're not a lot of those crosses aren't successful is they don't have enough players in the box to receive them, right? So they wind up having one one target person in the box with two center backs, and it just doesn't work, right? That that you need to have an overload there, or at least one v one. So you need to be able to press up another central midfielder. And I'm not 100 percent sure why Lansing wasn't trying to do that. It just seemed like you know no one no one was there for you know kind of a a run along with the uh, along with the cross. The other thing that I want, Chris, did you did did you see the uh, the the penalty kick and and listen to the broadcast on ESPN Plus? Uh, I don't particularly remember the broadcast, but I did see the penalty kick. Yeah. So so the announcer d- doesn't seem to know didn't seem to know <laughs> what the signal for a penalty is because he thought that it was a signal for a corner when very clearly right. the referee pointed right at the spot. <laughs> And, and said, "Oh, it's going out for a corner." And then the camera pans away to go to the corner, and you know, we 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 missed some of the um, some of the interaction between some of the Lansing players and and the referee. But well, just uh, just wait till we get the Greenville Madison game, and I will go I will go off the top rope on the production uh, <laughs> from from this this. Uh, production company that's doing these matches but one, one uh, thing i want to say before we move on though lansing had their chances oh, right yeah. it wasn't a game to where you know toronto just dominated possession or stopped them and you know cleared everything gomez had a great chance in the 82nd minute and it just went wide dunn had an amazing clearance off the line in the 59 60 minute which could have been a goal in any other game um but you know i think the the issue with teams that you know, depend on being scoring a lot of goals and being fast paced is, you know, you start getting weary after two games or it's just like, okay, uh, when are these goals actually coming? Because that's what we're depending on. Right. And uh, we're, this is going to be an interesting weekend. And uh, also Lansing fans, what's up with the shower, the bathroom shower rug on the field uh, up in the corner? I know it's, you, y'all know what I'm talking about. It's just smooth field and then it looks like a rug like that you use to make sure that your tiles don't get wet and you don't slip and die that's that's what it looks like y'all got to do something better with that i can't i can't keep watching that well with that being said um so i talked a little bit about free kicks free kick goals and free kick opportunities uh but uh a couple this this next game had really one goal and then one like crazy goal then South Georgia Tormenta beats FC Tucson 2-0. Really, it was a 1-0 game. And then there was a, a crazy, the goalkeeper is all the way up on a 
on a set piece and then just gets torched trying to run back to his goal. And it's, it's lumbering. Yeah. Striker of all time. <laughs> I think at some point he was just like, you know what? Just, just take it. Just take the goal. So uh, this, this match uh, Tormenta, I think, you know, we talked a little bit last week. Should we be concerned about Tormenta? I don't think any of us felt really like we should be, but they, they kind of kicked that to the curb this week and, and get back on the winning streak. Uh, Jason, what'd you think about this match? Yeah, I'm going to say Phelps. Like I said last week, they missed him. He came back and showed why. Um, played a great game, made a nice tackle in the 48th minute that saved a through ball that was going to be an obvious goal. Um, Tormenta's back line also, once they get their guys back, they're playing extremely high, a lot higher than they were playing the week before. And because of that, they have possession more. They kind of controlled the game more. Um, Antley, they pretty much gave the keys and he was overlapping and probably on the offensive side of the field more than he was on the defensive side, which I love that. And, uh, a player that I think also did a really great job, um, was, uh, Dennis, I think um, he did a great job. Uh, Tucson also had their moments. You know, there was a ball that was stolen in the 68th minute that almost led to a goal. My question, though, is we talked about, you know, the, the second goal with the keeper going all the way up. There was still like a minute and 20 seconds left of extra time. So I'm going to ask you guys this because obviously it's super early in the season, but when you only have four teams or when you have four teams make the playoffs out of 10 spots, right? It could come down the goal differential for that four spot. And yeah, you think, okay, it's early. I'm going for the win. We'll make up for it later. But how do you guys feel about setting the keeper up that early? I mean, when I saw that, I thought, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing all the way up there? There's not, there's plenty of time left. Like you're not, this is not like, clock's ticking away you've already expired your stoppage minutes and this is like literally going to be the last shot of the game it's i don't know i was so confused by that yeah Ira, what do you think would you do i mean you're a, you're a coach yeah uh, maybe, uh, yeah it was it was a little bit early I, I think two things i think one you know tucson's not in the u.s open cup so maybe they were thinking that this was like an open cup match and they needed to get the draw to go to extra time i don't know um but the other thing is too i think in the end, the the point that you get is probably more important than the one goal you might concede, right? So that extra point gets you closer to the line than you know worrying about the goal differential at the end. So, um, so so I think you have to press for that goal in that situation because you know losing by two or losing by one, and at the end of the day, is less important. The the other thing that I'd note, and Jason, you brought this up about how high Tormenta's back line was. That also forced Tormenta's front line uh, to move up. So when you look at the average positioning of Morel. Uh, Dennis and Coutinho, that was even with Tucson center backs. So their average position was actually way high up. Like three of them were basically on the shoulder of the two uh, center backs for most of the game. And that was something that after the match, I, I went out and looked at the Opta data on, on USL's uh, League One website and and looked at that because I was really curious because those guys were always like right up there in the center and and that they were creating those problems and Tucson didn't look that bad really it just you know they got unlucky so 82nd minute goal line stand you know uh, you know two clearances off the line a great save oh, and a good and, clearance yeah, I mean, week, Tucson easy, this easily could have been a one one match easily yeah. so I, I wouldn't say that you know uh, it probably two nil was probably unfair like one nil probably would have been a more fair score but. You know that's that's the way the that's the way Antley runs. So. And I I think that it really benefited Tormenta to be that high. Dennis I think 
showed a lot of great skill on the ball and drew in a lot of attention. And even in that Coutinho goal, he is the one that draws in the attention for then the pass at the Coutinho who's making the run down the side. And he's a big body who gets up and down the field quickly, right? Very physical. So that's something that they probably love having up there as Morel kind of just causes havoc with his speed and being all over the place and his athleticism. You get a physical guy up there too to draw in attention. I think Tormenta can really benefit from that. So since Ira's MVP nominee, Moshe Perez, is not in the league anymore. And they uh, could have used him in this game too, by the way. Just, just, should, saying, just should we saying. Should we let Ira uh, pick up an early season bid on uh, Connor Antley for MVP? I think he's going to be a sneaky dark horse candidate. All right, I, I get a point nine for that. Well, you guys get one for your uh, MVP picks. That's, that's fine. I'll take that. So we go, we go from a game with a goal that maybe shouldn't have happened there at the end to another game with a goal that probably shouldn't have happened. North Texas SC with the victory 1-0 over Orlando City on an own goal off of a corner kick that honestly I don't know what happened there. I, I've watched that goal two or three times and it's just it's baffling that I don't know what was going on. But regardless of that, we've talked about Orlando City B kind of being, again, I think this is the team we for sure all gave the wooden spoon. We all said this team is not going to be any good. And they're still at the bottom of the standings yet every week. They look like they look like they could win every week. I've got a hot take for you. Orlando should have won that game. Yeah, I think so. I truly think Orlando had the chance to win that game. And the one thing that they are struggling with week by week are set pieces. They are always getting scored on with set pieces or because they want to bring someone down and give them a PK or a free kick. That's the one thing they need to focus on. If they can get a striker, a consistent striker up top and have discipline with set pieces, they could be a potential upset alert or sneak a dark horse into a fourth position. I think Orlando really could have won that game because North Texas was not finishing their chances either, right? We look at Rodriguez who played a great game. He was creating chances. He won 10 duels, came back and helped with tackles, but nobody for North Texas was finishing their chances. And I think Orlando had the better chances to finish than North Texas did. So there's a couple of things here. I think one Orlando's Orlando's attack, I think is reasonably dangerous, but they, but they're just weren't great at finishing and Luke Granator had a bad game. Like, like if he had, if he played with the amount of energy and and movement that he did in some of the other games, I think he would have probably put two in. And Orlando's back line, like even though you know, Jason, you say that they had a good game, maybe deserved to win. Actually, I I disagree. I think North Texas should have had a couple more goals just with how sloppy the back line of Orlando is, and I think that's been their problem the whole season so far. Um, and what happened on the goal? Uh, so Chris, you know, you could you could look at this. It, it infuriates me when you you get good service into the box like that, and and it hits the ground, right? So I mean, a defender or an attacker needs to get your he- ahead on that because that was actually a pretty good service. It just it went through everyone, which didn't make much sense. But yeah, Orlando can definitely be dangerous but they need to be more clinical like they, they had almost as many shots as north texas they just you know just couldn't finish any of them and i just go ahead chris i just know they're gonna figure it out when they play greenville the first time <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just have this feeling that that's what's gonna happen that's not this week is it because i one of my predictions was no. that we'd have we'd have one team that had five that, that would go undefeated in the first five and one team that wouldn't have a win in the first five so yeah i <laughs> So shout out to Sebastian jo- uh, Joffrey, though. Uh, he really impressed me uh, against North Texas. I thought he had a great game and just want to give the kids some shout out. I, I, I still think Orlando, even though North Texas 
probably had more chances and more which would look like clear chances, whether it be 1v1. I think Orlando had the pace and the ability to finish, and they just didn't, right? Like you said, Granter had a bad game. And I think if Orlando finished, they had two great chances in the first half. They finished any of those, that's a complete different game. And I think that's the first time that North Texas is playing down in the whole season. Can can we play? Can we play a little bit of a uh, before we move on to the next match? Can we play a little bit of um, counterfactual here? What if Ricardo Pepe's in this game? Ooh. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we're, I'm, I'm glad he's. I'm glad he is not coming to the Upstate this weekend. I can just tell you that. <laughs> one one thing that North Texas has to look to uh, this upcoming week, though, it's their first road game. So I wonder how they're going to handle that, right? They've been home. They've been feeling good. They've been playing on the same field they practice at. So now let's see what happens when they have to hit the road. Hostile environment, and I'm going to let them have it because my <laughs> seats are front row midfield, and I'm going to be yelling at every single one of them. You're yelling at children, Chris. Right. <laughs> I have no shame. Actually, yeah, I wind up yelling at the opposing coaches more than I do at, at any of the players. Uh Moving on to the next game, Richmond kickers with the one nil victory over the Chattanooga Red Wolves. Richmond, you know, we talked about early in the season, started kind of slow. They've they've racked up two wins back to back weeks. Joe Gallardo with goals in both matches, kind of sneakily creeping up on uh, maybe getting in that golden boot race there. Joe Gallardo, uh, what did you think? Uh, what did you think about this one, Ira? You're I know you're not like necessarily a Richmond guy, but you're you're kind of our Richmond affiliate or closest one we have. <laughs> fair um, yeah, f- fair enough. I thought Richmond's defense did a really good job this game. Um, you know, they they shut down Beatty, Stephen Beatty, and uh, so Beatty wound up trying to find space on the outside. So you look at where he got the ball and where his touches were; they were on the wings, and that's not where he's dangerous, right? He's much more dangerous when he's creating in the midfield um, a lot more and trying to get the ball, um, uh, trying to get the ball up up top of the middle um i have to say that you know even though gallardo got the goal um and certainly will get the credit for a decent finish he didn't do any of the work that was uh Imwape, and yep. he did a great job and and you know Buldick's ball it was spot on his foot looking for the run so i think some of the stuff that that coach bulo has been working on with them in possession and moving the ball forward and looking for uh kind of uh diagonal runs and seams seem to be working so the chemistry seems to be there on the side of uh um, of Richmond, and I, I think on the Chattanooga side, you know they didn't they didn't play a terrible game in in the defensive half. Really, it was on the offensive half they couldn't get anything going, and I think that was on you know Beatty kind of not being able to find the ball, and that was probably partially due to you know Richmond doing some homework um, on them, and at the same time. You know, just on the fly, BD and the rest of the guys not being able to figure out how to how to get the ball kind of in that zone fourteen, right on top of the D in uh, uh, in front of net. Yeah, Bolduc is the motor of that team. In the last two weeks, he's been the one to really set up that offense. Was probably responsible for both goals um, in those two weeks. But we want to talk about the breaks. Aqua has been incredible, right? And I mentioned it last year. He's sneaky. One of my like, you know, chances of being defender of the year it's like no he keeps moving up further and it helps richmond retain possession so much more and there were so many times to where chattanooga would get the ball and aqua would go nah i'm gonna take that right back and then they would just resettle Uh, i thought connor shinoski was great was just 
looking, you know, just a stone back there, wasn't really caring about anything that was happening, just had a head and had a foot on everything. And yeah, I think that Richmond's defense is what causes them to have that possession and be able to build from their offense. And then when you've got guys like Lockerbie who, you know, I don't know if it's him or Mbappe who, I don't know who's exactly the fastest on the team. I know there was a little Twitter debate going on with that, but both of those guys can fly. And uh, we saw Lockerbie fly last week. We saw a little bit of it this week. Um, yeah, I, I think that the key to Richmond right now is retaining that possession in the midfield or on their back line when they're clearing. Um, and Akwe is a huge part of that. And he's a player that's really impressed me this year. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, to, to start off this recap in this game, I think Richmond is kind of starting to hit their rhythm. But I tell you the thing I want to focus on a little more is the Red Wolves. And I think the Red Wolves have got to be the most inconsistent team in the league right now. One week they could beat anybody and one week they could literally lose to anybody. And they've they've looked great and they've looked terrible. And it's it's really like and it feels like it's every other week they're going to have a game that's good and a, and a game that's terrible. And so I don't know. I think they're the most un they they are the real Salt Lake of USL League One. Like you just don't know what you're gonna get from week to week. Um and, and I don't I don't know what to think about where they're gonna end up in the in the standings. Cause like I said, I think I think they could make the playoffs and I think they could come in dead last. I think it's their midfield. I think that's basically what it comes down to, right? They're losing. And I, I did an article last week about it. I think they've lost more duels than anyone in the league, uh, especially in their midfield. And because of that, you're allowing other teams to build up. You're allowing them to have possession. And when you're facing teams like Lansing and Greenville and Richmond, you're not going to get that ball back for a while. And by the time you do, it might be in the middle of the field because someone just scored a goal. And when they're a defensive team, they're, they're good defensively, right? Like they hung on there for, you know, it's not like Richmond blew them out by three goals, but it's important for you to do something with that defense. And I think right now they're just losing the battle in the midfield. Uh, yeah, they, they need a better number six or someone designated in that role and kind of that midfield destroyer to win the ball, you know, in, in more dangerous places. The other thing about this game that I want to just note is that uh, Abu Bakr Keita uh, got his first minutes. So um, I think those were his first professional minutes. Am I getting that? Right, he did. He did not have a debut with Columbus yet, right? So yeah, yeah. So those so. were his first professional minutes. Played twenty four minutes. Um, I thought it looked okay. Um, you know, not not spectacular. You know, had took him a few minutes to try and get into the game and get into the rhythm. So, um, you know, Richmond might see a little bit more of him when he, uh, you know, assuming he's not called up to the U twenty squad for uh, um, for the World Cup. So we had a home opener this week in USL League One up Did in, we? Up in Madison. Hmm, what, what happened the there? Well, let's, let, here we go. Okay, strap your strap your seatbelt on because I'm about to come off the top rope on everybody about this match. <laughs> First off, Mr. Peter Wilt, who we love and we adore on the show, and we're so grateful that he gave us his time last week. But he did not like me saying anything about how it was going to feel a little bit like a circus. And yet I saw people riding flamingos. I saw the team signing a cow this week. Just saying, you can't come in here and say that the PT Barnum thing's crazy because it's not. Um, this game was delayed 30 minutes because of snow and they couldn't clear the field off well enough. Break out the orange er, yellow ball, evidently. Wasn't aware that it was going to be yellow. Uh, break out the snowball for the Madison Greenville match. Um, this was just, uh, this was really the tale of two halves 
Um, in my opinion, Greenville looking really strong in the first half. And then for the second week in a row, they come out of halftime and they just they just shut it down. And really in the second half, Madison looked the stronger team. The, the possession pendulum swung over to their direction. And it again, it just felt like a, a tale of two halves. But my issue with this game had nothing to do with things that happened on the field. As, as a fan of a team watching a broadcast, I expect when you're on ESPN Plus, when you've signed this distribution deal with, with whoever's producing these matches out of Florida, I have felt like for every match I've watched this year in the league, it has felt fairly fairly high quality. I know not all of them are as good as others, and part of that has to do with where the camera is, what the conditions are, how the crowd is. I feel like all the commentary has been the play-by-play and color guys have been fairly level. Um, you know, I think you've got guys who are the Greenville uh, play-by-play guy. You have the Tormenta play-by-play. Guy. Like you have guys who are who are just doing play-by-play for those matches, but it doesn't feel like there's any homerism necessarily. I felt like in this match, one, I felt like the commentary was very, very driven towards Madison and that's okay. Like I don't have as big of an issue with that, but the camera work in this match drove me bananas. You'd get a free kick set up for a free kick. And all of a sudden they just zoom in on the ball and zoom in on a player. The kick would be happening. The play would be going and you'd just be watching this random person instead of watching the game. They had these weird zoom ins and zoom outs and cuts here and cuts there. The, the, play-by-play man audibly yawned on the broadcast in the second half. They put up the wrong stats from who knows what game at halftime. The whole thing was a complete disaster, and I'm so fired up about it. Tell me I'm wrong. I can't say that you're completely wrong at all. I, I think part of it's that whoever was directing uh, d- directing the show was probably used to doing other sports that don't move all the time, right? So, you know, you, you need a director who is going to be moving cameras around and, you know, I'm going back to, you know, 30 years ago to my broadcast journalism major. Um, And, you know, when you have two cameras and you have a sport that's moving all the time, it's not the same as doing, you know, football or baseball where you have, you know, set many seconds between action. Right. And, and I, I feel like that's what it was. It was someone trying to learn how to do soccer on the fly, um, not having practiced on like a high school game or something like that first. So yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think that quality could have been a lot better. I mean, in general, I, I think, you know, most of the the production has been pretty good, but yeah, that that game wasn't particularly yeah, um, wasn't like, great. Sounds like you peasants don't understand art. That's all it is. You know, it's it's interpretation. <laughs> okay, it's different, right? This is this is what you want, right? You want something different. You want something new. You just need two cameras, one on the <laughs> one on one half, one on the other, and switch between the two wherever the you ball is. You, that's, you that's know what I you want. should be living about, though, Christopher. Uh, we are now two games of Greenville crossing the ball a grand total of 50 times and only connecting on four of them. Mm -hmm. If Jesus was here, he would not be a Greenville fan because all you guys do is cross to no success. And, and Bermuda's in this match had, he had uh, four attempts and only one successful cross the whole game. And I feel like if, if Bermuda's is on you guys like rock. And then when he's not, you guys have, have some problem getting into the flow of the game. That is his one of eight in the past two games, Ira. It's, it's almost, it's, almost as if I haven't been saying for weeks and weeks <laughs> that Greenville's biggest problem is they don't have anybody who can finish these chances. 
Well, I take that back. They have one man that can finish the chance, and his name is Jake Keegan, but he can't do it all. And he's not he's not the as a finisher, he's probably a B to B plus finisher. He's not an A finisher. So this team just doesn't they don't have a finisher. They did sign another player finally this week, but he's a midfielder. I think I think they, but they still have like the smallest roster in the league. They're sitting at 20 people. They've got to, they have got to, got to, got to find a striker. So if any championship teams want to loan their six, five striker to Greenville, come on, we'll have him. We'll take him. But at what point do you start saying until we get that, we might need to change tactics because, and I'm, I'm going to bring this up for the one trend I've have noticed in this league. The center backs are pretty good at aerial duels. I don't recall anyone actually winning a cross over somebody else, right? A 50-50 ball in the air. And so when they're playing Tormenta, when they're playing Madison, you know, Connor Tobin and Sean Russell, they're not going to be losing too many balls in the air, especially when they have time and they're already set. So uh, it might be a, a tactic thing from the league as a whole. Maybe you guys need to just stop sending in crosses for the time being because yeah. a lot of these teams built their teams based off of veteran defenders, especially center backs, and they're ready for it. And these are still new teams, still learning their offensive tactics. So maybe you should try something different. Yeah, the only the only thing I would say to push against that a little bit is – that even this, even in the midst of not being able to score, Greenville's defense has still been one of, if not the strongest one in the league. Um, they, the games they've lost, they've only let one goal in. They have really shut down the back. They've let at least half the goals have been scored against them have been quick counter strikes. Um, it just, I don't know. I mean, I think I, they're doing good defensively, but if you're not going to be able to score, you better you better be shutting people out pretty consistently. Um, so we want to just keep pushing ahead so that we don't run out of time. We don't want this to be too long. Uh, last night we had a game. I don't know if this is technically last week or this week's game. <laughs> I FC, think they counted it for the current week, week six. Okay. So FC Tucson, uh, two nil back to back matches with no, not back to back matches, but they're playing Lansing ignite. They beat them two nil. Uh, what did you guys think of this match? Yeah, it's it's I mean it's pretty much the same thing that Lansing had last week, right? They for getting these chances, they're there and they're not finishing them and they're allowing teams to stay in the game and stay in the game and all it takes is one counterattack for a team to go up. And then that's what we saw with Tucson, right? We saw a run down the side. Um, and then the one thing I do want to point out though. Uh, I don't remember who was shooting the ball for Tucson, but whoever was shooting it after that counterattack down the side, Lansing had five players in the box during that shot, and every single last one of them were ball watching and watching that shot instead of marking their men. And that's when Jamba flew down the side. Nobody was marking him. And so when the ball took a weird deflection off of Carr, I believe, because the ball had backspin, uh, nobody was on, nobody was watching him. And so he had not only time, but he had the momentum and the space to go up and shoot. It's one to get the ball at your feet, have a defender right there, and you have to have a quick shot, get no kind of power or speed behind it. But it's another one to actually have the time, momentum, and space to run up and shoot that ball. And Jamba had a had a great shot, right? That was just a, it was, a, a it, rocket. 
It was a nice shot, but there were, it was a 4v4 in the box, and that should not happen. That means that you've broken down defensively. So at that moment, Lansing did not have numbers up in the box. They didn't have good defensive cover. And like you said, no one closed down the ball. No one closed down the ball three different times during that same play. And, you know, so the, the ball went to the right side. It was, was on the right side of the goal. There was nothing on. No one pressured the ball. Cut back to the penalty spot. Cut back to the penalty spot, and then, um, yeah, you know, and, and then still no pressure on the ball. Everyone just standing there trying to make a wall, I guess, in front of the goal. And then the ball goes outside to to Jambia, Jamga, who's making a great run and you know and a, a great finish. The other thing I'd say too is that Lansing were used to pressing, right? We're used to them pressing, get and, and staying really high. Teams that press don't like the ball. I think Tucson figured that out, and Tucson said. Fine, we'll give Lansing the ball. They don't like having the ball. So so Lansing had the ball 65% of the time or something like that, right? 65, 66% of the time. And so I think that that was an issue for Lansing's attack because they wanted to win the ball high and they never could because they always had to build out of the back. Well, well also too, my problem with that is he came off the bench. S- Steve St. Duke's your most creative player. You can't, I know you have three games in eight days. He can't come off the bench. I, I just don't see it. Uh, like you said, especially when Lansing was going to control possession, and I think they had like 65% of possession, right? They needed creativity because they're not getting it off a of press. Nick Moon's not stealing the ball in the final third of his opponent. And bringing in Steve St. Duke when it's too late, that's the risk you have of having that super sub, right? You bring him in, a team's already scored, you're chasing now. Um, maybe you need to bring him in earlier, right? Like, like, look, if you have to make a 30th minute or 35th minute sub, do it. Like if, if you're, you know, things not working, waste one of your subs early in order to get the right personnel on the field too. That's, that, that's something I think coaches don't do enough of. Like, like, you know, some of them will, will make changes at halftime, but most of them, you know, stick with their game plan. I think sometimes a little bit too long. And the last thing I'll say is stop giving Tucson free kicks. Don't do it because Tucson has won two games now because they've had free kicks pretty much. Stop doing it. Vegas kick, absolutely amazing. But what is Lansing doing with that line too, though? I don't understand the wall. It was, we're going to block the keeper. And then the keeper went, oh, no, no, move, move a little more to me so I can't see the shot at all. Okay, now you two spread three feet apart so he knows exactly which lane to kick it into. And then I'll have a late reaction to it because I can't see. So A, stop fouling Tucson near the box. And B, you got to work on that wall because I don't know what that was. So let's look ahead a little bit to this week coming up before we wrap up for the evening. Um, So we've got four league matches this weekend. Orlando City B hosting the Red Wolves of Chattanooga. Greenville hosting North Texas without Ricardo Pepe. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Richmond hosting Lansing and Madison hosting Toronto FC2. Any matches in there that stand out to you guys this weekend? I Lansing is on the road and they're going to have to they haven't scored in two games. They're going to have to turn around and play a game on Tuesday next week, I believe, or Wednesday for Open Cup. This is a dangerous game for them because if you go three games without scoring a goal and Richmond's defense has started looking good and this is what your team has been hyped up to be, this is what you are supposed to be. You're supposed to have the most goals in the league. You're supposed to be, you know, high pressure winning these balls. I think that's when fans are going to go, okay, I'm 
I'm going to start rubbing on the worry button a little bit. I'm not going to slam on it yet, but I'm going to rub on it. I think Richmond really wants to win this game, so Lansing has to look out because you know Lansing had the better of both of the last two games. They've already dropped six goals on Richmond, and I think Richmond wants to make up for that and, and get that head-to-head goal differential down a little bit. So I, I think they'll be up for it. I'm interested in really seeing um, how the uh, – uh, how the Madison uh, Toronto game goes to, um, because you know Madison we you know we saw the zero zero this will be their second game there it won't be in a snowstorm it doesn't look like I actually did check the weather um, and uh, not that it matters because maybe TFC's two is used to it anyway um, so I really think that that could be that that could be a fun match um, and uh, you, you know what you know, so some teams that are in really good form you know so that'll be good. I am most excited this weekend, I think, for Orlando City B hosting the Red Wolves because I think Ira's prophecy about a team going winless is going to get snapped this weekend when they get the victory against the Red Wolves down in Orlando. Just going to mm-hmm. call my shot now on that one. one. Uh, and then, as you alluded to, Jason, next week we have U.S. Open Cup action, Richmond hosting Virginia United, Lansing hosting AFC Ann Arbor, Ann Arbor, Tormenta FC 2 hosting Chattanooga Red Wolves, Bavarian SC hosting Madison, and then the big boy, the game of all games, (laughs) Greenville Triumph hosting South Georgia Tormenta, the biggest rivalry in League One according to the league. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my uh, my Nostradamus hat on and and give you guys a prediction. I think that's the game that goes into PKs. I think you're looking at a zero zero or one one game, and it's going to go to PKs, and the league is going to just be salivating and just loving that this is actually the rivalry in the making that they've been wanting to have. I truly think that that game is going to go into PKs, and then I don't know. I'm looking at you know when we're looking at who can score. When your center back is uh, up there almost in the golden boot race, I don't know. Tormenta looks like I, I might have to put my money on them in PKs. Chris, I, I have a question for you. Since so, since you mentioned before that you only have 20 players on the Greenville roster, you, you know there, there obviously needs to be some rotation probably between these two games, right? So do you think that the, the, the team is going to – uh, prioritize the U.S. Open Cup, I, I would I would guess. Um, and that means to rotate the roster a bit over the weekend against North Texas? I mean, there ain't much rotating to be done, man. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. They just rotate six or something, right? Yeah, I mean, there just – there really isn't. And if I'm honest, like – I here's the thing. I think because Greenville knows that if they win that match, they will get to host the Charleston Battery, I do think there is a huge incentive for them to go – all guns blazing, trying to beat Tormenta at home. Also, I think I think the the guys are going to be motivated just from the standpoint that they lost that home opening match. That was a big spotlight match. This is a big spotlight match. The first USL League One versus League One US Open Cup match. So maybe thinking they can get a little bit of that piece back to themselves. So I think they're. I think that's probably more of a priority than beating North Texas. But if I'm honest, man. I don't think they're going to rotate. I think you're going to see a first-choice lineup on Saturday. I think you're going to see a first-choice lineup on Wednesday because, honestly, they don't have a ton of other options. Now, the thing about Greenville is there's not a huge drop-off, and you've seen some guys rotate in and out and different guys in the starting 11 that I don't know that there is like a, here's the 11 guys that are the first-choice guys. I think there's probably maybe 15 guys that are what I would consider to be Coach Harks' first-team 
selections. So I think you're going to see some rotation in that, but I would still say it's going to be what I would consider to be a first choice lineup for both matches. One thing you might want to try is putting Cole Siler up there as striker because that boy's footwork is incredible. I, well, I was listen, impressed they, by uh, his uh, footwork back there and his dribbling. So they moved was, him. Uh, they moved him up to midfield this week against Madison, and you know, I was kind of hesitant about it just because he's so, such a good center back, but he looked really good in the midfield. And I, that's the thing I will say about Greenville that I think uh, Coach Harks has done the last couple of weeks is he's kind of mixed people up in terms of where they are positionally, trying Tyler Pollock up in the midfield against Richmond, trying Cole Siler up in the midfield versus Madison. I wouldn't be surprised to see some of that because I think ultimately there is probably more depth in the, at the defender spot than everywhere else. And just trying to get the best guys on the field and finding a place for them. Um, so yeah, I, I'd be interested to see the lineups he rolls out with, but I do think that Greenville is going to be highly motivated to uh to win that match next wednesday um any other thoughts on the league before we wrap up and thank our sponsors let me give you two scenarios you tell me which one is worse lansing doesn't score this week third week in a row they don't score and then they go and lose their u.s open cup game against a formidable opponent or chattanooga red wolves lose again this weekend and then lose the Tormenta two in their US oh. Open Cup game. Ooh. What is the worst what is the worst scenario in that? Because at least with Lansing, they get a home game next weekend against you guys. And which with that rotation, that's probably their prime opportunity to go, look, we just need one in and then they're gonna it'll be an open gate flood and they'll start going in. But I think with the Red Wolves having this much pride and being in that city I don't think you can lose a Tormenta too. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be hard to one get bounced by a lower division team when you're the Red Wolves and you're already facing plenty of opposition from all the lower division teams in the country. And also not just to lose to a lower division team, but to lose to a basically a two team from a team in your league, that's going to be hard. But if I'm honest, I actually think Lansing, the Lansing scenario might be worse just because of the expectation level on Lansing as a team coming into the season. And even, even as we sit here today, like they haven't been playing great the last couple of weeks, but I think people still would say this is one of the best offensive attacks in the league. This is a team that's going to score a bunch of goals. This is a team that's going to be in contention and probably in the playoffs. So if you get, if you continue on that slide downward and you get bounced in the first round of the U S open cup, people are really going to have to step back and go, Whoa, okay. Something's seriously going on here. The uh, one one advantage that some of these teams like like the Red Wolves will have is that these uh, USL uh, League Two teams and the NPSL teams they haven't played a competitive match yet, so these will be their first competitive matches. In fact, I was uh, just this weekend with some guys who were here at a local um, uh, uh, USL League Two team, and they were saying, "Yeah, like we're practicing now, but our first competitive match is going to be our US Open Cup match next week." So it's you know, and and then their league starts the following week. So it's it's a really weird situation for them. But just when you so, so it just makes it more embarrassing, by the way, if you lose to them. Well, but just as you say that though, just wanna just wanna say that the local NPSL team in Greenville, Greenville FC, today goes on the road and scrimmages fifth place USL championship team, Charleston Battery, and comes back home with a two one victory. So it could happen. Any given day, you never Hashtag know. Preseason matters. Preseason matters. Hang right, listen, the dang banner. Not, 
automatic favorite for for winning the league this year. <laughs> Hang the banner, baby. Anybody want to make any uh any bold upset predictions, or do we think it's kind of going to play out how it looks on paper uh, outside of the Tormenta Greenville game, the which is obviously anyone's. Yeah, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be chalk. The other four matches. Ira, you too. Yeah, I, I, I mean, not knowing any of the other teams, um, yeah, you know, it's it's almost impossible to tell. The the one team, if I if I was going to pick a game that might be an upset, it would be that Bavarian Madison yep. game. I was going to say, don't sleep on Bavarian, but but I still just think, and Madison hasn't looked great all season, but I just I think that the talent discrepancy is going to be there, and I think it's going to be close. I think, and I actually think that one could be one that you could potentially see going to PKs as well, um, but. I think ultimately Madison would would pull out the victory there, but that that would be the one. If I had to pick one, that would be the one that I would say would be most likely to see an upset. Uh, guys, thanks for being on the show again this week. We want to thank our sponsors, Golden Gold Press, the best choice to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items for just yourself or your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengoldpress.com. And also thanks to Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, US Soccer, and so much more. Get your custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Ira, where can folks stay connected with you this week as you're watching all the League One matches and all the Open Cup matches? At Ira Jersey. And usually during the matches, I'm not tweeting, by the way, because I'm concentrating on the match. Someone that is live tweeting and live gifting is our guy, Jason. Where can they follow you? At Home Sweet Soccer. I'll be showing Toronto love, which I'll swear I don't. <laughs> you can follow me. Uh, best place to follow me is over at YTSS Podcast. That's where you get all my soccer coverage. Or if you want to cover, if you want to follow me for my spicy yelling at the USL broadcasts, you can see me over at Youth Guy Cash. And don't forget to follow us at League One Fun League, the number one fun over on Twitter. And we thank you for joining us again this week. And we will be back with you next week. I will probably not be on the show next week because I got a game to be at watching my uh, Triumph boys take down Tormenta in U.S. Open Cup and send them back to Georgia with tears (laughs) in their eyes. Ira, you're not going to be on the show either, right? No, next week I'll be here. Yeah. Oh man, I was gonna say tune in next week when I get an hour to just rant about everything that's <laughs> if you, wrong. If, in the if world. you really want, if you really want it, I'll take a night off and watch the open cup matches. It'll be way too much like a therapy Whoa. session. You don't want to see that. I'll see you. I'll see you, Ira. <laughs> we will find somebody to fill this giant seat of mine. I'm sure, uh, just for a one week basis. So, hey guys, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, and we will catch you guys again next week.